morning, family. Please listen to this portion of God's word as it is written in the book of Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is grace we have been saved, through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Gregory. And did you notice that Gregory is wearing his uh, Rwanda sweatshirt today? Um, We have a pretty significant investment in Rwanda. And every year we take teams over uh, to bless the people there, build homes, uh, put in wells, connect with uh, sponsored children, and do a number of other things. And it's really transformative, the lives that are changed uh, by by us being there and and seeing how uh, the the two communities that we are invested in have evolved over the years is really phenomenal. But what I would like to say is that um, every time... uh, members or or visitors end up going on that trip, they always tell me that they experience more transformation than they ever would have imagined. And God just has a way of working that way. So if if you're interested in that ministry, um, they're they're actually looking for people to to get to begin preparing for the trip that will head out this summer. Uh, how many of you were here last night? for the Altius uh, concert? Yes, there are a few here. Uh, what an amazing experience last night. Um, Fred Atkins and I were, were walking through the sanctuary uh, as they were rehearsing the day before. And uh, when we walked through those doors, uh, Fred turned to me and he said, are we in heaven? And I turned back to him and I said, it certainly feels that way, doesn't it? You know, it was just phenomenal. We had to sit down and just take it in. And it was so exciting that last night we had uh, a really good response. Uh, I think we had over 200 people here to, to experience uh, just some incredible pieces of music. And we're so grateful to Anastasia for, for uh, allowing that. Uh, she offered that to us for free. So... Uh, we're hoping that we can do that again in the near future, and if so, I'll, I'll certainly keep you posted. Uh, we have some visitors today. Uh, the International uh, Mission Board, 
Uh, right over here, this group here, we have Jacob and some of his friends and family members. We're so grateful that you're here, that you chose to be with us today. They're actually going to be heading overseas in, in just a very short period of time, and they thought, hey, before we go, let's go to Trinity. And so we're glad that you did. We're glad that you're here today. <laughs> If you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, um, we are in a series that is taking us through the book of Ephesians, and uh, this is the third installment, if you will. And uh, what we're going to be looking at today is um, our identity uh, in that we are saved. Each week, we're looking at another facet of our identity in Christ, and I think that was Paul's intention: is to to really help this church in Ephesus understand who they were in Christ and what they were uh, to do as a church, their purpose. And so, there is a lot of information that we can glean from this letter. And so, each week we're going to be looking at another aspect. And again, uh, today we're looking at what it means to be saved. So, as we jump into this, uh, how are we saved? How are we saved? Well, what we see right away in this passage that Greg read is that in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Grace. Grace is what enables us to be saved. And if we think about that word for a moment, what does it mean exactly? I mean, we throw it around a bit. The author and seminary professor and theologian J.I. Packer defines grace as God's love in action toward men who merited the opposite of his love. The opposite of his love. It's God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not do a thing to save themselves. That's pretty amazing when you think about all that God has done in order to make it possible for you and I to be saved. Now, I heard a story about a man by the name of John who was part of the Royal uh, British Navy, and he deserted. He hated it. He hated being part of it, and he deserted, but they caught up with him. They caught him. They brought him back. They beat him for deserting, And then they demoted him. Disgruntled and bitter, he made uh, just awful, despicable, disrespectful songs. He was a songwriter. And he, he wrote these songs about the captain of the ship that he was on. And uh, when the captain discovered that it was John who had written these particular songs, he was demoted again. But That only served to harden John's heart even more than it had been hardened before. You see, he was proud of what he had done. He was proud of the fact that he was able to turn profanity into an art. Have you ever known someone like that? Someone who can drop a four-letter word into every sentence? And it really doesn't matter what form it is. It could be a verb, it could be an adjective, it could be a noun, it could be a predicate. I mean, they'll fit it in, right? You may know someone like that. You may be thinking about that person right now. Now, this was part of John's identity. And he was proud of it. And his identity was also rooted in the fact that he had 
sharp-witted attacks against the Christian church. He hated Christianity, he hated Christians, and he hated all that they stood for. And he, he didn't pull any punches as he was letting people know about those feelings. He was a hateful man who later became a slave trader, and he captained his own ship. He got his own ship. And during one of those voyages, his ship was caught up in this violent storm, and he really thought that his ship was going to sink. He really thought that that was his end. And so he did what most of us do when we find ourselves in a situation like that. He started praying. He said to the Lord, Lord, if you will spare me, if you will show grace to me, if you are real, Lord, and you get me through this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Four weeks later, by chance, by grace, by God's provision, this broken ship made it into port in Ireland. The men who were part of the crew were having to work around the clock pumping water out of the boat to keep it from going down because of the damage. But somehow they made it, and John honored his word. He left the the slave trade. He decided that he was going to start studying God's word, and ultimately he ended up becoming a pastor. He became a pastor, and he was deeply devoted to proclaiming God's mercy and grace because he had experienced it for himself, and it had transformed him. As a songwriter, he often composed hymns that would go along with his sermons. And on Sunday, January 1st, 1773, John Newton shared a new hymn that he had written called Amazing Grace. Now, you might recognize the lyrics. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. From worldwide TV coverage to the Olympic Games to uh, platforms during acceptance speeches by presidents around the world, and even to the smallest church in the most rural backwood areas, everywhere we hear the strains of amazing grace. This song, this hymn, has transformed many, many lives over the years. It was John Newton's personal testimony, but it has become the testimony of many of us. As we have sung that hymn and thought about the lyrics and applied them to our lives personally, transformation takes place. The grace of God permeates our very being. We go from lost to being saved And if it weren't God's grace, if it weren't for God's grace, we'd all be in a downward spiral heading toward hell. So my question to you today is, do you see yourself as being saved? Are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you connect with him in such a way that you feel as though you can share your deepest hurts and your longings and have the sense that God is responsive, that he can hear you and that he is speaking back into your life and opening doors and changing your circumstances around you? Is that the kind of relationship that you have with God?
Or are you in a position where you're still looking for answers? Where you're still struggling to to trust God, to, to believe that he actually exists? And if you're here today and you're not sure, I'm excited that you're here. Because this might be the day. This might be the day that God breaks through and allows you to experience the transforming power of his grace, his love, and his mercy in your life. Now, the next time you hear the beautiful and hauntingly beautiful song, Amazing Grace, remember that you too can experience the same sort of transformation that John Newton experienced and express it in ways that God has equipped you to do so. You see, because of what Jesus did for you, you have access to all the riches of God. He took your place on the cross. That's what we learn from scriptures. He paid the penalty for your sins so that you could be saved. So the question then is, how are we saved? We are saved by grace through faith, through faith. Now in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves or from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, what is this saying here? Well, before we grapple with what faith is, let's consider what faith is not, what it's not. See, faith is not mere knowledge. It's not mere knowledge. In, in James 2.19, it says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You see, there are demonic forces and, and Satan himself, they believe in God. They believe in God. And yet, a lot of people will say, well, I believe in God. And they think that that's enough, that they're good. But we know that it has to be more than that. It has to go deeper than that. So, So faith is not mere knowledge, and faith isn't having a positive attitude. It's not just a positive attitude. Now, a lot of motivational speakers will tell you, you have to have faith in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And while that may be true, it only works, it's only have substance if there's something in you that is worthy of that faith. And for most of us, we recognize that if we look deep enough, there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of shortcomings and we need something that is beyond what we can bring. We're not capable of pulling ourselves up from our, by our bootstraps. So as I try to understand faith, I, I see four uh, primary elements that I'd like to look at when it comes to faith. First of all, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. In Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Okay? So what are you listening to? That's the question. What are you listening to? What are the loudest voices in your head? Think about that for a moment. Are they aligned with the word of God? Are they life-giving? Are they truth-telling? Are they full of love and joy and peace? And if not... You need to hear something different. You need to hear something new. You need to start studying God's word. Choose better media feeds. Surround yourself with friends that will speak truth and love into your life. That will answer questions and concerns honestly. 
You need to read books that enable you to hear God's truth so that you can identify lies when they come your way. You see, for us to identify a lie, we must know the truth. How do we find the truth? We must dig into what we know is true. We have to surround ourselves with things that are true. Now, how many of you have heard the saying, you are what you eat? Yes? Most of us have heard that, and, and the actuality, in actuality, it's true. We are what we eat. If you eat fast food every day, every meal for the rest of your life, I can guarantee that you're going to have health problems. Your uh, blood pressure is going to be high. Your, your, your cholesterol levels are going to go through the roof. Uh, you're going to have uh, all sorts of issues. It might be obesity. It could be a number of things. But I'm telling you, your health is going to be impaired over time. We know that. Well, I want you to think about that for a moment and, and recognize that our mind is very much the same way. When we're feeding our mind or what we're feeding our mind influences everything about how we see the world and how we respond to the world around us. So are you feeding your mind a diet of inflammatory news? Is that, is that what you're doing most of the time? Is it gossip? Are you hanging around, you know, the, you know, the, the water cooler at work and just taking up all the gossip about everybody in the office and then sharing a little bit of your own? What does that do to you? Are you binge-watching horror movies on FX late at night? Well, if that's what you're taking in, I can guarantee that you are not experiencing the peace and love and joy of God. I know because I have to confess, sometimes I'm up late at night and I get to FX and I watch some of those shows. And then I get up into my bed and I lay there and I stare at the ceiling and, I, and I, it totally transforms the way I see life. Every little bump in the house, I'm like, who was that? You know, what, what's going on? You know, it, 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 it creates and instills fear and, and, and darkness. So I don't believe it when people say what you watch and what you take in doesn't influence the way you see the world or you personally. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, there's, there's a condition in that passage. If you do these things, you will experience peace. The peace of God. If you don't do those things, by default, you will not experience the peace of God. You're going to be experiencing something else, but it's not going to be peace. And so when we know what is true and noble and pure, what that enables us to do is to become witnesses of those things in our lives. Our lives become a signpost of what God is doing in and through us. We can be conduits of hope and peace and joy. Now, think about the last three conversations that you've had. The last three conversations. Just think about them for a moment. Did you season those conversations with grace and hope and the joy of the Lord? Or was there something else embedded in those conversations? Maybe you were frustrated or, or grumpy or discouraged, or it could be a number of things. Maybe you were snappish. 
And there could be a lot of reasons for that, but there wasn't any hope or peace or joy in, in the midst of those transactions. Were you ready to give a testimony or an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus? You see, we're called to always be ready. And, and it's hard to do that, but in order to be prepared for that, we have to ask God to prepare us. We have to open our hearts and minds to the things that, that God has for us. And, and we have to even ask God that he would give us the specific words in advance so that when we come into those conversations, we're ready. I was thinking about this, and, 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 and I'm trying to practice this myself. And, and what I do is I pray in the morning that God would give me divine appointments. That's what I call them. I'll ask him to give me words of encouragement that I would be able to be life-giving in all of my conversations and interactions with people. And I don't know who those are going to be sometimes. But I'll ask him to give me divine appointments. And then as I go on my way, my normal routine, I'm frequently amazed at what God does. He brings people into my life, sometimes unexpectedly. And if I'm prepared, I can be life-giving. I can be the hands and feet of God. Part B. Faith comes through knowledge. Knowledge. Now, after we hear the word of God, we begin to know and build our knowledge of him. But our faith must be rooted in fact or it's just wishful thinking. Our faith must be rooted in fact. And and there must first be an objective fact that we can believe in and that we can trust. And of course, we know that that's Jesus. We know that's Jesus from our experience. We know that he died for us. We know that he was buried and that he rose again. Why? So that we could be saved. These are truths that are embedded in the scripture that apply to us and change everything about our lives. Now, part of being saved means that we have access to the same power. This is what scripture says. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's a lot of power. And we have access to that. We can step into that. We can harness that power and use it to do the things that God has called us to do. So you're not just being saved uh, so that you can move from being lost to found. You are saved so that you can live victoriously in everything that you do. So your life will be, in fact, be a signpost for what God can and do in relationships. And it's pretty exciting to see what he will do. He wants to do more than you would ever hope or imagine. Next, faith comes through accepting. Accepting. You see, salvation requires that we accept that Jesus died for us personally. Now, I've talked with a lot of people over the years, and they say, well, of course God saves. You know, God saves good people, really good people. But personally, you know, I don't know that... I qualify for that. You know, there's a lot of water under the bridge. You know, I still have a lot of issues that I need to deal with. And, and, you know, and they go on and on. Right? Maybe you felt that way yourself. But what you need to know is Jesus died for you personally. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Or how broken you think you are. And we talked about this uh, during our Advent series a few weeks ago. And what I said during that series is that if we really want to receive what the Lord has for us, our hands and our heart need to be open 
so that we're ready to accept the free gift that he is offering to us. Part D, faith comes through commitment. Commitment. This is where we choose to follow him, and it involves casting ourselves on Christ, really just trusting him wholeheartedly and resting in his promises and having the faith to join him for all eternity. This is more than just believing, as I noted before. It requires a faith that must be coupled with commitment and action. Nikki Gumbel, the author of the Alpha Course, um, has some amazing illustrations. Uh, and I love to quote him because they're, they're relevant and, and they really get you thinking on, on a personal level. And he, he offers this illustration about just this. And in his book, Questions of Life, he, he says, there was a, an acrobat, one of the most famous acrobats from the 1800s by the name of the Great Blondin. That's what he was known by. And his claim to, to fame, the Great Blondin, was crossing Niagara Falls on a tightrope. It was 1,100 feet long and 160 feet above the water. And before an amazed crowd, he would walk across the tightrope, and then he would do it again blindfolded. And then he would grab a wheelbarrow, and he would walk across the tightrope with a wheelbarrow, and then he would come back and blindfold himself and go across in the wheelbarrow again. And the crowds would just be amazed that he could do this. And so at the end of, of, of getting from one end to the other with his wheelbarrow blindfolded, he took the blindfold off, he looked at the crowd, and he said to one of the men there, do you think that I could do this with a man in the wheelbarrow? And this man responded by saying, oh, absolutely, yes, I have seen what you can do. I believe you could do it. And the great Blunden said, well, then hop in. And the guy said, not on your life. I would never get into, <laughs> into that wheelbarrow. And for good reason, right? It would be crazy to do so. But what that is illustrating is that this man really did not have faith. He may have believed that the great Blondin could do this, but he didn't have the faith to put his life on the line, not to stake his life on it. And when we have faith in Jesus, what we're saying, I mean true faith, what we're saying is that we are willing to stake our lives on who he is and what he can do for our lives. He becomes our only hope of salvation, and so we give ourselves to him completely. So faith comes from hearing, through knowledge, by accepting, and by committing. So why are we saved? Why would God go to all this effort to offer salvation to someone like you or me? Well, we are saved for a purpose. And we find out what that purpose is when we get to Ephesians 2, verse 10, where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, so there we have it. We are his workmanship. We were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which means he had been thinking about this since the beginning of time, what you individually would be doing as his created being 
so that you would walk in those giftings, those talents, those abilities on his behalf. That's what this passage is talking about. And when we think of the word workmanship, we typically think of, you know, something uh, miraculous that God has done, something wondrous. Maybe we think of the, the, the expansive universe or the galaxies or the sun and the stars and all the moons. But what Paul is telling us here is that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. And that's even, even more wonderful than everything else that he has created. And what's even more amazing is that God is, is making the very character of Christ come alive in each of us. Why is he doing that? Well, so we can do good works. So we can do works. So we can join him in his redemptive plan so that we could become his hands and feet. God is asking us to join him in something that he could very easily do completely by himself without us at all, but he's allowing us to be part of it because he loves us and it brings him joy to allow us to participate. Now, there may be some of you here today who have heard the good news of Jesus. Maybe you have built your knowledge over the years. You, you know a lot about scripture and what it is to be in relationship with God. Maybe you even accepted Jesus and committed to him, but you haven't really discovered your purpose. So if someone asked you if you were saved, you would say yes. And then if they followed up and said, so what do you believe your purpose is? You'd be like, oh, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, I wish God would just tell me what he wants me to do. If God would just tell me what he wants me to do, I would do it. But since he hasn't told me what to do, you know, I don't know what to do, and so I'm just kind of hanging around waiting. Well, let me make it easy for you. You see, God wants you to glorify him. He wants you to bring him glory, and there are so many ways that we can do that. So many ways. And he's given you passions and interests and skills He's surrounded you with certain people. He's put you in a specific place at a specific time. And he's opening doors of opportunity for you all the time. And everything that you do in those spheres have the capacity to bring him glory. So we already have everything that we need to bring God glory. We can get things going already. We don't need any more instruction. There's plenty of instruction in God's word. We can glorify God at work or at school, in the city, in our homes, here at Trinity. Anywhere that we go, we can bring glory to God. And when Paul says that you are his workmanship, what he's saying or what he's revealing in that is another aspect of your identity. You see, you didn't just come to be. It wasn't just your parents wanted to have children and so here you are. It's that God, from the beginning of time, envisioned you. He knew exactly what your strengths would be. He knew what your weaknesses would be. He knew exactly what you would think, how you would feel, where you would live, who you would marry, what kind of kids you would have. He knew everything about you. And he intentionally created all those things because he orders our steps. And when God does something, when he creates something, he doesn't make mistakes. 
So when he created you, you may feel like you're a flawed individual with lots of brokenness, and you may be looking in the mirror sometimes thinking, God, what, what, did you, what were you thinking? But God knew exactly what he was thinking. Because he knew that he could work in and through you even in spite of your brokenness, even in spite of your weaknesses. God will fill those gaps and he will allow you to accomplish more than you could in your own strength. And then everyone is glorified. God is glorified and you get to experience the glory of God. You see, not only were you chosen before the foundations of the earth, you were created with a vision You are his masterpiece, and you are designed to do good works that will transform the spheres of influence around you. That's an amazing thing to think about. You are created and saved so you could enter a world of mission, a mission for God. You are to be salt and light. Matthew Henry, the uh, famous Bible commentator, says... Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are your healings. His agonies, your your repose. His conflicts, your conquests. His groans, your songs. His pains, your ease. His shame, your glory. His death, your life. And his sufferings are your salvation. He's talking about being saved. God has done everything in his power. He moved heaven and earth so that you personally could be saved. This is your inheritance. And it's a reminder that when we are saved, we have everything that we need to accomplish every last thing that God intended for you to do. Isn't that amazing? That before the beginning of time, God saw through the millennia And he could see your face. And it brought him such incredible joy because he knew your potential. And so he invited you into this redemptive plan. And when you responded and you were saved, you accepted that mission. What an incredible thing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for faith the faith that has enabled us to become saved. The only thing that you require of us, Lord, is a willingness to receive this incredible gift. That's all that you require, a willingness. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who is here today who hasn't received you as their personal savior. Maybe they've been working hard to either save themselves or or trying to understand what is required of them. But Lord, I pray that today, this day, that he or she would open his hands, her heart, and receive this incredible free gift that you are offering, the gift of salvation. And for those who would consider themselves saved already, people that have already received this gift, I pray that you would deepen our faith Increase our power, give us victory and authority so that we can glorify you in all our ways. Lord, thank you for your love, for lavishing your love upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the thing. If you prayed that prayer,